Red Dice Diaries podcast, a rambling journey through the wonderful world of RPGs by a longtime GM and player. The music at the start of this podcast is Shinigami by Tarek, used under Creative Commons license. And I've got Lloyd, Witt and John Drury with us to talk about the GM's role in role-playing games. And we're going to take a bit of a whistle-top stops tore through that with obviously Lloyd to wrestle us back onto the subject when we inevitably start wandering off and going into various other flights of fancy. So before we actually start getting into the the sort of main meat of it, does anyone have any opening things they wish to say about either what they think the particular role of a GM is or their particular classification of a GM, obviously the games master of a game? I mean, I think it's opening it with the, the question of what is the GM and uh, what our opinions on that is. Uh, it's, that's the big one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I think it's the one that um, many game systems across time have grappled with and decided on for themselves, and uh, we all have our own sort of opinion on it. But uh... Yeah, I mean, I think for myself, I mean, not not all games, but sort of like 99.9% recurring of role-playing games tend to you have the players who deal with playing their own character they turn up they play that character interacting with other characters and various non-player characters that the gm controls whereas the gm presents the world to the players and also controls like the weather the the npcs various other events that occur throughout that now they don't control everything because obviously you you can have the vagaries of fate represented by dice and other like random determiners, but it's the GM who sort of like oversees all of that, and almost the GM has to like sort of keep a number of plates spinning in the air at one time. So you've not only got to sort of tell the characters what they see, because I was seeing that the GM sort of acts as like the player's window into the world. So obviously, if if you say you three are, I'm running a game for you three now. And you're like, all right, we're going to walk into that barn over there. You only know what that barn looks like, what's in that barn, if there's any people about, if I tell you what's there. So the players, really, they can only be as good at interacting with the scene as the GM allows them to be, in my opinion. Anyone else want to jump in? I can see Lloyd's getting his question finger at the ready. Well, I think that's really a good idea for a way to go for what a, what a GM is. But it's a little, I feel like the idea of the world is a little bit more. A GM is also not just a person that opens up the world, but a person that closes it. When they come up with NPCs and ideas for people to go to, they keep the world in check. So they make sure that the rules of the world have been established by both the players and them stay with consistent of a certain line. So you don't have going through a door and meeting Gimli from Lord of the Rings, then going through the next door and meeting Led Zeppelin. Their job is to make sure the tone... The internal consistency. And the consistency of the game stays the same. They're also responsible, but mind is responsible for the tone, is responsible for keeping the level of the game at the same one. So if it's a PG-13 game, they're meant to be keeping it at PG-13. If it's a game that involves super kinds of violence, they're meant to keep it there. This is a fun game. The job is that. So even if other people are able to come up with making NPCs and things like that, they keep the game on the correct level so it's consistent. Yeah, internally consistent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people get confused with between sort of like running a 
realistic in inverted commas game and running a consistent game because obviously there's a difference you're not going to run a realistic like D&D fantasy game because it's a fantasy game but by the same token if there's not a sort of a baseline level of internal consistency how can the players know what chance they have of succeeding at, at anything because if you suddenly go like oh well everything's just like random and fantastic and you don't even know like how like gravity works or like stuff like that how the hell are you going to know like whether your character can like jump over the pit that they've come across you might be like oh well what about that guy who like jumped 50 feet the other day because like gravity just seems to be random and obviously that's a, a ridiculous example but there's a lot of things we assume even in your sort of fantasy campaign that are going to work like you say like gravity um, friction uh, if you light a match you assume that it's going to light and then go out after a little bit you have to have that level of internal consistency so players can make judgments about how likely they are to succeed or fail at things back on that same subject i just realized what i was going to actually say um there's actually a document gms can make before a game which is not the cat's document that gives the concept of the game that the game is supposed to be about the aim of the game so people know what they're looking forward to the tone of the game aka keeping it within the right level and then finally the subject matter aka things are allowed to discuss and which ones you're not and it's a gm's role to bring those on i just want to just like you know bomb the conversation with that one quickly anyway carry on you know what's oh go ahead Mark. Oh, okay thanks um i think that's kind of part of what a GM has to do. I think it's bigger than just running the game. Uh, not only do you have to come up with the adventures, and like Lloyd says, that kind of document, that that almost like that session zero thing sets up the game and kind of manages the expectations. I think there's also a big part of being a game master, not only umpiring the game and kind of, uh, you know, being the creative aspect of it, but it's also um, not only managing the game itself but also the social aspects to it you bring the people together you buy the adventures you set up the game a lot of the time there's slightly more of a financial commitment from a games master because they need to know the books they need to know the rules because if it's all new players they need to explain the game sometimes you have to explain the concept of role playing um and there's also that kind of being an ambassador for the system as well when you're running a game you have to sort of know everything back and forth and in and out um yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit bigger than just being another player, I think, even though they are a player. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just being the guy that comes up with the monsters and, you know, telling people what dice rolls they need to make. Yeah, I mean, entirely agree. I mean, I think there's, there's a sort of level of c- commitment that's required to a game. I mean, even if you're running, like, a one-shot or, like, a short-term game, which obviously requires less sort of planning perhaps in a campaign game might require you, as the gm you've still got to like whatever whatever amount of prep it is you've still got to do that you've got to have the if you're using any like material components or you like if you're running it online using any like maps or any like roll 20 stuff or anything like that you've got to have that ready to go you've got to make sure that like, everyone knows when the next session is stuff like that so i do think that the, the wits right there is a an additional commitment required from the games master but by the same token i think you can also depending on your group of players i think if you've got a, a good group of players some of that responsibility can be like farmed out to to the players and that's not like in a dismissive way it's just that i think gms have like so much going on their plates when they actually run the game if there's any way you can lessen the sort of like the additional strain 
I think that's a good thing, and I think it'd help prevent sort of GMs getting like burnt out on games, or sort of like becoming like disillusioned, or even like exhausted. And obviously, I don't mean like physically exhausted, but like mentally exhausted with the amount of stuff they have to do for a game. Lloyd, um, actually, I was going to let John Peter Dury go next because he hasn't said anything. Oh, yet. Go for it. No, I was just going to say that um, you know, I when I think about uh, the, uh, the scope of the GM role in its entirety, uh, I like to think back to a. Uh, a certain monologue by Alec Baldwin from a movie called Malice, where he basically ends it with, you think I have a God complex? I am God. And I think that, I think that the idea of the GM as God gets much like maligned as a, Oh, it's a railroady type of GM or it's a GM that's wants to micromanage the players of the world. But I think that the um, idea still holds even today in this, in this era of systems of, uh, you know, this free love era of where our systems are a bit more narrative and a bit more uh, let's get everyone involved around the table. So even in an era where you, there's a lot more delegation expected, where the rules of the systems are leaner and simpler uh, than they might have been in the past, I still feel that the GM's role as the god or as the creator, the force behind the world, uh, the, th- the machinery under the hood hasn't really changed all that much unless you're doing something where it's literally like a round robin experience where everyone's essentially a GM. But even then, if you have five GMs, it doesn't change the essential role of the GM from being that, that engine. They're just five different engines instead of one big engine, you know? So, um, but I, I think that, um, I think a couple of things that uh, you all have already touched on, I think uh, are key uh, to the GM role. And I think we should probably think about maybe drilling down a little bit further on would be uh, setting expectations. Absolutely key i think uh to any starting any game uh i I love to kind of go into prep more because i think everyone has a different prep style and i think we all probably could give some really good tips especially people out there who are listening who maybe don't have the level of experience with jamming that we all might have to make their lives easier because uh sometimes i think when you start this and if you have no guidance you come at it thinking you have to write a novel or 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 be this uh you know, Tolkien-esque world builder, and uh, it's just not the case. Uh, and then also um, delegation, which we just sort of touched on as well. Um, and I think it's very important to be able to delegate. And it, again, it's almost like being a manager at a job at a, at a company. You know, you have to be able to do certain things to really perform the role well, and not want to like go, go crazy. <laughs> and I think that's all true of uh, being a GM as well. So. I think we've done a lot of talk about hopefully giving make the GM's life easier. But I think we do are right though. We need to talk more about what a GM's role is before we move on to how the players can make the GM and most likely my life less of a living hell. <laughs> yeah, totally. For example, for example um, we haven't talked about the rule system and how the rule system is implemented. A GM, on a good day, should be able to know the rules well enough to run the game. They should have a good understanding of the rules. Yeah, I think it's basic. they should be able to get it through. Like, like base, base yeah. level. Base bottom level, you should know what you need to know to make the game work. Like you should be base- socially competent enough to be able to handle objections around the table without slipping yes. out. And I mean, there's a certain basic concepts I think. Yet, yeah. Like before you even complete create a campaign world, you have to have that much down. Yeah. And you also, outside of the area, you have to, in a way, be able to control the table. Yeah. A very important thing that. A GM needs to do outside of because we talk a lot about like the GM's rules and like the game and the world, but controlling a game outside the table is very important. 
the table is you have a table full of four to five to maybe if you're really crazy, ten people yeah. who all want to do something, or maybe some of them just don't do anything at all because you know what the hell we're rebels. Whoa! And you have to be able to give them all spotlighting, you have to give them all a moment to shine, you have to give them all plot lines to follow, you have to give them all individually and as a group a chance to speak their mind. And that is like one of the harder parts of how to be a GM. You have to the part where you're like, hey, so uh um, you want to do a thing, you can do a thing, but you need to wait so that guy does his thing. Also, mm. you need to, oh God, how's this going? Everyone's talking at once, please help me. Yeah, pacing and, and controlling the tempo of the table is huge. And something that an inexperienced GM, I think, uh, struggles with the most. And uh, I think that when I first came back to running games about six years ago, uh, I had a disaster of a play-by-post um, that I was running that uh, it fell apart because I just, I wasn't, pacing things right and I wasn't controlling the the table appropriately uh the personalities around the table uh they just all blew up and did whatever they wanted and and weren't buying into the vision now that's a key you know buy, getting the buy-in from the table to the vision of not only the setting that you've all decided to play in but also the way you are presenting the setting uh because everyone's a little bit different in their viewpoint of, uh, of a world that they might all be very well familiar with so yeah um I think it can be very discouraging if you if you have that experience and and then don't bounce back from it. Um, to, to GMs out there who are maybe coming back or who are new, and if you do have that bad experience at a table where maybe you do lose control, uh, it's okay to lose control. Just come back at it again the next week or a month later or however long you, you take your breaks for, and just try again. Uh, get up off the ground, back onto that horse, uh, because again, uh, eventually with practice, you're going to gain. That, that sense and those skills. Um, if you don't do it ever again, then it's just going to be, you just never did it. And then you thought you were bad at it. Well, no, you just had that one bad experience. You could have been a great GM. You just have to keep, you got to break that wall, you know? Try managing get coming back and playing with uh, different players as well. That may help. Yeah. And get, get a new table. <laughs> also kill there are those people again. Blacklist them. Yeah, don't be afraid to blacklist as a GM. That's a that's a that's a that's another point. See, probably. actually, I'm gonna hold you on that one. I think blacklisting table specific. I think when it comes to the point where a table isn't gelling with one person, the GM's role is to, as a as the social arbiter of the game, be able to blacklist that one person from the oh, yeah. group if they need to. Or blacklist all the people from the group or screw them all or trash. But like it, blacklisting is blacklisting is a very dangerous subject to go into. So it's something that if everyone at the table agrees, usually a good group agreement will go through, you can do it. Or if you're a GM and you play that one person before you're like, you know what? I don't like this You can blacklist them well before as well. Because sometimes it's just the player doesn't like the game. And they will be they will they will play because you know we all play together or that's you know their group of things they just don't like the game and they can kind of bounce off it. Um, but there's a flip side to it as well. Sometimes the GM is bad, and the same goes for players. Don't don't just you know forget their game, uh, forget about a game because of one experience with the GM. Uh, I think it's you know there are good games, there are bad games, and we live in a. Um, uh, objective world so you may like not like a game or you may like a game and that's completely fine but a bad GM can make any game bad I think I think that's probably fair I think a bad GM can make a game bad but at the same time 
sometimes a bad GM is only bad because their understanding of the system and the social construct that's built from being a GM is what makes them bad. They haven't gone past that. Some people are like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think to um, to come back to what you're saying about blacklisting, John. I think as well an important thing. Because I mean, I, I quite happily admit that I've had people in games before, and I've gone like, right, I, I probably wouldn't be that interested in having that person in a group yeah. again. It's unfortunate when you have that experience, but I mean, sometimes when you play the guy once or twice or gal, I'm, I'm not being genderist here, um, and you're playing with someone and they're just not gelling, or they don't gel with you, or maybe you just outright hate them at the end of the experience. You know, at that point, you just gotta be able to walk away. Many fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the things I've learned about that though is it's important to review those decisions at a later date because yeah. I certainly know that I've I've played in games where, for whatever reason, a, a certain person didn't work in that game, and I, I've sort of got not interested in having them in a game again, but because I sort of periodically go back and like look through like the people mm-hmm. I've sort of like blacklist if you want to use that term uh, the way i always look at it is like if i look at the blacklist and i'm like oh what, what was it that person did to like right if you can't remember right then yeah, if, I, if i can't remember it, it wasn't so that bad, bad was it yeah so yeah, exactly. so i never forget yeah that's that's me too if i if i've gotten to a level with a player or or gm it's it's never come up with a gm so far but um if i ever come up against a player that just you know, really just got my goat to the point where I don't want to interact with them ever again, chances are that that's the impression that I have of that person See, in, that, mean, in that context, like, forever. I, I think, I think I've think i been in games with the, at least a few people who I've then sort of thought, oh, I probably wouldn't want to be in a game with them again. But I, for whatever reason, I've ended up being in a game with them again. And because it's a different game with maybe like a different group dynamic or whatever, I've then gone, do you know what? Actually, yeah, and that's caused me yeah. to like go back and like re-examine my initial decision. I think these are good points and all that, but we are straying slightly off the GM role on the idea because no, this is mostly point. for whether a GM by their role is even allowed to blacklist. Well, they are. I mean, that, that's 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 a given. I mean, it's a, part of the power of the GM is if, if they don't want to run someone, they can just say, "I'm sorry, I just don't want you to come back to the table next week." It's that's neither here nor there. I, I guess uh, we were just talking about the both of merits of it, but yeah. Well, this think, is interesting because blacklisting is a, a very that seems a very final term. Let's let's move the subject to I don't know optimal table management or something. Yeah, there are lots of things you can do to make a game good. One of them is choosing the right players. Choosing the right players or being able to speak to your players if something comes up. Now, which is what brings me to one of my most fundamental points for the GM role. There's one thing that I think all GMs across the board need to have. It doesn't matter what game you're running, if it's Fate, if it's D&D, even if it's trashy OSR, it doesn't matter what game you're running. It has to be that you need the trust of your players and the players need the trust of you. In every table, no matter what you do, because prep, social, social interactions, cats document, all of those things added together do not matter if your players do not trust you. If yeah, it's that buy-in that I was speaking about earlier. They got to buy in to you. You got to buy into them. Everyone's got to be on that page where they're they're in sync, and that's that's when things fall apart quite quickly. Is when that becomes out of sync. And yeah, I mean, I think as we were saying, like a lot of the because I agree with what you're saying about trust, Lloyd. I mean, trust. 
you, you, I think all a lot of that comes down to as well communication between the the players and the GM because it's a lot easier to develop trust in someone and you and them if if they're willing to have like an open dialogue with you like if you know you can go to someone like let's say let's say for just as a an example you you've got like a problem in whatever role playing game you're playing in if you know you can go up to the the GM you can have like a frank conversation about it and you can like open a dialogue about how that can be resolved in whatever method it is you you're probably going to have a more enjoyable game eventually than if you're sort of like oh well I'm really worried about this but I don't really feel like I can talk to the GM about it and if that happens, you're either going to carry on playing the game, but you're going to be unhappy, or you're probably just going to go, do you know what, I, I don't need this hassle, and you'll like walk away from a game that you might otherwise have enjoyed. Mm. You know, I think that um, communication is something you can drill down on quite easily because it's, it is the most important piece of a very social hobby, You the need to and the ability to communicate. Um, and I think that, you know, um, as a GM, there's many different ways you can approach fostering communication around the table you know um for example there's something i like to do for example at the end of my sessions uh, even with guys that i've been playing with for years i always like to say like what you guys think did we touch on on the things you're looking to touch on was there anything that you know maybe you didn't want to touch on uh that that i did uh stuff like you know just really asking questions you know being learning to ask lots of questions of your players both at the session zero and then maybe even after sessions um really helps get people talking even if they don't would normally want to talk you know they'll just they'll still yeah. want to answer your questions you know they even if it's just out of a sense of obligation uh and eventually that will help i think build a little bit more comfortability and everyone will understand that you as the gm are actively trying to communicate with them and gain the information from them that will help make their experience the best experience that it can be. I, th I think as well, I mean, I think that's a good point about asking questions. And I think one of the benefits of that is also you're more likely to get feedback that's useful for you as a GM. Whereas if you just say to someone, what do you think of the game? And they're like, yeah, it was all right. Now, that that's great. You know, they enjoyed themselves, but it doesn't Bye. actually help you as a GM. So, but but if, if, someone says, if someone puts you on the spot and says, oh, what do you think? I, I know myself, if someone did that, I'd probably be like, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, if you ask the questions, and if you say to me like, "Oh, do you, what did you think of the pace of combat in this game?" I, I can answer that because I know what you're looking for as the GM. Whereas if you just like, "What did you think of the session?" I'm like, "That that's a big sort of topic." Um, just to go in there, I think since we're on about like cool ideas, let's now go into tools GMs can use to basically become better GMs and take the role a bit better and like play it through. Uh, are you shaking your head? Is it okay, John? Go yeah, on. I was going to say, I've, I've got two words for you, man. Two oh, words oh. for you. Random tables. Oh. <laughs> I do like a random table, though. I have to say, it makes my life infinitely easier. If I'm playing a sort of game, the sort of game that, that lends itself to a table, like a D&D &D or something OSR, like John likes to run, then a random table is a glorious thing because it takes like what, like half, good half of the work out of it for me? <laughs> well, but for me, it's, it's not so much that, but I, I found it a useful exercise when I was when I first started using them because it got me to sort of like got me used to like thinking quickly on my feet during a game. Because let's say that like the players are like wandering through a forest or whatever and they get like a they get two random encounters and one of them's like, oh, one of them's a woodcutter who's just like collecting his wood and the other's like an attack by a bear. I then have to think on my feet to go like, right, well, why why is this like wood 
cutter? Is he already being attacked by the bear? Or the player yeah. character is going to come across this and maybe help him? Um, is he part of like a hunting party hunting down the bear? And it, it serves for me as a useful idea generator. So mm. like if I was sort of like stalling yeah, a bit or I, w- I was maybe struggling with ideas, having like a, again, like we're saying about asking prep questions, it's easier if you've already got something that's sort of like pointing you in the right direction rather than if you've got a whole blank canvas. And that's what random tables were for me. They were like a nice jumping off point. And I might I might just ignore 50% of it and go like, oh, well, I'm going with this idea. But it at least sort of got me like pointing in the right direction. Mm. I I'm I'm not going to comment whether I think random tables are good or not. I have used them, and in the one instance I used them, which was for Jason Stratton's Big Vacation, I had a really good time because of the random table. Why are you shaking your head at me, Mark? Don't, don't wait, wait. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't don't judge me. That game is awesome. Don't hate. Or, or at least if you are going to judge him, just sit there and do it silently <laughs> with your eyes. Um, I think there's definitely a time and a place for tables, but it depends on the table. It depends on the table. I think. And, the, and the game that you're playing, this, not every system, it, not every system is lending towards it or is a good idea. Like I think if I were to take uh, Fate, for example, and I, I throw in a few random tables, that might be helpful to people who are coming in new to Fate. But I think also then it would also under uh, or um, uh, it would um, deride the overall feel of Fate, which is sort of be spontaneous think about the world fractally be able to throw things down on the spot which not everyone can do at first when they start playing fate that's why you know you want to might want to even have a table or two in the beginning when you're running fate you know maybe build some pre-made aspects for your players but uh yeah i just again depends on the on the table and the game as uh, mark said yeah so um on the idea of i did things to help your role be better uh there you know there is always the roses and thorns idea that's been going around which is the ask about one good thing and one bad thing and the idea the statement on it is that you are so busy looking at flowers that you don't don't notice it when you prick your hands on thorns but something that luke came in from the gauntlet is the idea of stars and wishes instead which is Mm -hmm. you ask for one thing they'll give a star to that they enjoyed in the game and one thing that they wish they could have seen more of or mm-hmm. wish they could have felt a bit more about. And it makes it less about being negative and more about being positive. Because yeah. positive outlook is good for everybody involved, right, guys? Yeah. I mean, uh, there are tons of systems and methodologies, um, but I think that they a lot of the the, the basic idea, uh, there's a, one of the biggest tools uh, beyond improving your communication and, and, and just communicating at all with your players as a GM, is then taking that communication and then using it to ask questions. Asking questions, I think, is one of the most potent tools the GM has because it allows you to establish what people are interested in, what they're not interested in, um, what they haven't seen at all yet, what they want to see, um, who they are as, as people or their characters. You know, you can, you know, you can ask an endless ocean of questions uh, to make your game more or less complex. Um, it's just a matter of what you're playing. But I think questions at the end of the day are, are probably, if you're a new GM, don't be afraid to ask questions don't be they're not going to bite your head off they're just players they're not sharks you know <laughs> all right well, we'll speak, speaking of questions speak, speaking of questions let me ask you guys a question how important or not do you feel it is for the gm to maintain an an out to be like a neutral arbiter of the rules and the game and now we see this a lot mainly it tends to be when people are talking about sort of like character death in games and you'll have certain people who are like the dice fall like that and that's the person dead that's it done 
which yeah, yeah I, I tend to fall on that side of the vibe. But you have other people who say like, oh well, you know, I, I run a game where I'm more like uh, creating the characters as being like the heroes and the central focus of like a dramatic sort of mythical story. Where do, where do you guys fall on that? I have a hot take before you go on. Mine's very simple. It's very simple. It's very easy. It's very easy. It was hard. People who roll behind screens are cowards. Carry on. Oh, yeah. No, I have to say, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, there are certain there are certain times you might want to do it that is valid, but I think most of the time it's better to roll in the open for sure. And I, I think that going back to what John specifically was saying, um, you know, I think it depends on the system a little bit. Like, so like with Fate, for example, or a system like Fate, the um, lethality tends to be very broad, depends on, on, on the type of the game you're running and, and the agreement around the table. Uh, the taken out rules aren't you're dead, they're, take, they're just you're out of the fight. So, but for a system that's like, if I roll this die and, and it, it is a success, you will die. Sorry, you're dead. I mean, you know, it, the whole point of the dice is to add the random element. And you have to be neutral. You have to be justice with your, with your blindfold on and your scales in hand when it comes to a system that has dice rolls in it. They, let them fall where they may. Let them have meaning. Or else you might as well take them out of the game, off the table completely, and just tell a cooperative story, which is also very fine about way of playing. But you take away all sense of consequence if you don't honor the result of the dice. And so Absolutely. be Absolutely. that neutral arbiter, you know? The the thing uh, I have absolutely hate fighting dice rolls um, yeah. as a GM and as a almost if, yeah. if play, players build these wonderful concoctions with merits and flaws and strengths and weaknesses and if you follow off those edges by flood, flood, uh, fluffing dice uh, fudging dice then they they're not going to get the highs and lows playing that character and I think yeah it, it, some you know if you're a new gm and um maybe the players aren't doing so well you know sometimes just kind of like i oh, will call we'll drop the ac by a couple of points that kind of stuff um, that's a little different though uh, you know wh whatever you need to kind of get through the first couple of sessions i think that's that's perfectly fine um yeah i wouldn't say that gms have to be completely neutral that is that seems um uh, that isn't the terminology i'd use i think they have to be sort of consistent with the narrative of the game. Some games are particularly dangerous or deadly. Some of them are a little bit more fluffy. Um, if you're playing a game where it's, you know, you're all hardball detectives in an investigation and things are going to get horrible. <laughs> and they never find out the information that they need just because they didn't kind of make the roles. I think that isn't necessarily good for the game. But there are things that you can do as a GM that are fair and neutral. Failing forward is a great tool, for example. They miss the role, so they succeed, but there is a cost. Yes. That is, that is a great that mechanic. That's an idea. Uh, the best I, idea I ever discovered when I started running Fate. <laughs> and um, it's the sort of thing that you can put in any game. Yeah. One of the things I want to bring on, actually, that this comic comes up, once again, so I bring us back to the GM role, is that the GM's... GM's um, GM's role specifically during the game to keep the game's momentum running. Mm -hmm. So once a game starts, it's up to you to speed up the game where things are happening fast and then to slow it down. Right. And not like so like a movie pacing where you have like a three acts with like your like your beginning bit and then you're like, oh, not quite sure what's happening here. And then you have the betrayal arc and attention is a bit in between where the players just like the, the characters are just sitting back and relaxing and 
crying about their loved ones being killed and stuff like that. It's up to you to, and what's called, control the pacing of it, yep. but also to match it to what the players are doing. Because the players That's themselves the will tell you. Yeah, but they'll tell, they'll let you know when they're like, yeah. I need a break oh, yeah. from hitting people. Oh, yeah. I'm really tired. Yeah. I, I think as well, part, part of that comes back to what you were saying earlier about making sure everyone like has their, their chance in the spotlight as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, part of that is if you're running a, an encounter and there's maybe someone who hasn't like spoken in a while, it, it's within the GM's power to like, to, to, to move the spotlight over to them a bit. And it's their responsibility to do yeah. so. In, in and I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, if, if I sort of like swing the spotlight in their direction, basically giving them an opportunity to like do something, and that player's just like, do you know, do you know I'm fine like staying in the background. That's different. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's absolutely yeah. grand. That, that's your decision. But at least you've had the opportunity to like mm-hmm. jump in and like do something. So it's like quite, quite often what I'll do is if I'm running a, a scene where there's there's maybe like one, two or three like participants are actively involved and someone else is stood off to the side. Uh, occasionally I'll just go to them and I'll be like, what does your character like think of this that's occurring elsewhere with the other player characters? Because even if they just go like, oh, my character thinks this, that and the other, it's better than them just sitting there and being like... Yeah, like a warflower. <laughs> which which, <laughs> which that, 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 might, that might be what they're like. And if they just enjoy like being a bit more reactive, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I'd rather give someone the opportunity to, to to get involved if they want to and have them go, no, actually, I'm fine, rather than it be the other way around and they want to get involved, but for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can or they don't feel like they've had the opportunity. Part of the GM's job is to tailor those sessions so uh, it does play to the strengths and weaknesses of those yeah. characters. Sometimes there are people that make a character that doesn't necessarily, you know, isn't in the front line of combat and doesn't uh, kind of get stuck in all the time. But having things that only they can do or they are, you know, the focus of, that is, uh, that's what makes a good session for everyone, I think. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, uh, Mark, because I, I have an actual practical example of that in play. I'm uh, involved in a play-by-post game right now where my character is a fighter and there's like a group full of basically wizards or clerics, whatever, high-minded intellectuals with magical powers. And he's the meat, basically. And the scenario has been very much an investigation of a magical thing. So my character has been just sort of guarding, brooding, looking intimidating. And the GM, I found, and very good for play-by-post because it tends to be a less reactive uh, medium, uh, he's been very well. He or she has been very much about, you know, hey, are you still here? You're involved. Do you, do you want to do anything? Uh, you know, and I'll, I usually just pop my head in, say something, uh, you know, in, in his dragonborn gravelly voice, and then move on. But when when the combat came, or when the fighting started, then my character was all up in it and all about it. But you know, the scenario up at that point hadn't lent itself to that. But then when it did, the character was able to shine, and the GM was very good about making sure that everyone stayed involved in the relative parts where they maybe were lulling for their characters uh, to make sure that they weren't being lost behind. And I think that's um, a very key skill, and it's uh, a sign of a good and conscientious DM, I think. I think this is also um, something, again, that we talked about earlier, about responsibilities being shared between the, the GM and the players. This is also something that players can actually and actively get involved in. Because just, just because, like, if, you, if there's someone who's like maybe not getting involved as so much, Although the GM, as you can say, it's partly their responsibility to try and make sure everyone has a chance to get involved. As a player, there's let's say us four are playing in a game. There's nothing wrong with like me if I've noticed like 
Lloyd's character's not really getting involved, like turning to him and saying, like, oh, what do you think we should do? Or what do you think we should do about this? What do you think of this? And it, it doesn't really cost me anything, and it might get another player involved. And I, I've seen this in a a game I've been playing in recently, which is like Johannes's Stars Without Number game, where we had Matthew playing, and he was like the medic guy. You know, we're all playing like fairly stereotypical character. We've got the pilot, we've got like the face, we've got like the brawler, and we've got like the medic. But because it's like an OSR game, and we're all like, oh, shit, son, we're like first level, we've only got like four hit points. So because so, we all went in like knowing that, we were like, we were like double and triple like careful whenever we went into any situation where there was any potential of us getting killed. So we'd be like, right, we're going to make sure we've got like, the ship standing by for backup. We're going to make sure we've got this, this and this contingency plan. So because that happened and we were all sort of like quite on it, it was very rare that any of us got injured. So you, you've got the medic there who's like, right, okay, so I can see the pilots. The pilots doing all the flying the ship. The, the combat guys getting in there and doing all the shooting and the fighting. We've got the faces doing all the negotiating and the medic's like, Oh, see, uh, no one's been injured again. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be in the med bay if you need me. Yeah, you know, I think that that could spin off well into its own uh, its own podcast about the the uh, uh, player roles around the or the player archetypes around the table and exploring that idea. But um, you know, at the end of the day, um, yes, it is the GM's role to make sure that that player isn't lost behind. But again, maybe that player then just needs to sort of like you know be have been communicated with and have asked been asked questions already up to this point to be comfortable with saying, you know what, I think medic is maybe not a full-time job for me. Maybe I can add something else in here to spice it up. So, and the GM needs to be flexible enough because again, obviously we want to be the arbiter when the game is ongoing. We don't want to change things midstream. Suddenly you're a spell blade when you were a, you know, a fighter before or whatever like that, but you want to be able to be flexible outside of the game and after the session to be like, okay, well, if that's not working, Let's do a little bit of tweaking that's that makes sense in in the system and the world that makes you more engaged, so that we don't lose you as a player because we don't want to do that because you're you know we don't want to lose players just because they're maybe getting a little bored you know. I would like to slightly change the subject again on this. Sounds dangerous. Gone. Oh no. Yet, <laughs> but just in case, um, I would very much like to go that I think we've talked a lot about the GM's role and the player's role within the GM's role and the GM's role of the player's role within the GM's role. But you haven't talked about ways to improve the GM's role as in things to help the GM's role be easier so more people would GM more often. Because that's the real thing, isn't it? Because most people, most some people, weirdly enough, some people look at the GM and they go, ah, oh, well, I can't do that. It's way too hard work. I'm out. Nope, not, nope, 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 see ya. So how about we go into things that, because we've done we're going this for say, that, that it, most 40 minutes, what would you say would be things that people can do, both players and GMs, to help the GM role be easier? <laughs> I mean, I've got one, which I mean, uh, weird, but you know. I think, I think I'll take it from the perspective of players. Uh, for people who are, uh, say you have a, a new GM or a GM who wants to, pl who is a player who, who wants to be GM and you have the other players around the table. I think at that point, um, it's a make or break moment in this new GM's possible life. If these these, these players around the table aren't, are, aren't supportive, they, they can't take on a supportive role, that they can't think outside of their own wants and needs uh, and help this person soar to potentially become the next great GM around their table. Um, because I think that as players, it's very easy to just be very myopic 
we have our sheets, we have our, our desires and wants, um, but we have to be, and that's part of being an experienced player, I feel, is being able to look around the table, look at other people's wants and needs, look at the other roles of the characters around the table, uh, and then you know take this new GM and be like, okay, well, how can I support this person? How can I make their life easier? Do I know the rules better than they do? Have I uh, GM'd before? Do I have a method that might help them? Not overloading them with information, but just being there as a resource uh, that isn't going to be a person uh, that's just, no, you can't do that, or no, you got to do it this way, but someone that's going to be like, hey, there's ways of doing this thing. Let us know how we can help. We want to be there for you. Uh, and not be not to not be critical, but I feel that a lot of horror stories that I've read and experienced in my own self have always become back around to, you didn't give me what I want. I'm going to be nasty now. I'm going to blow up your table. I'm going to blow up your game. I'm going to make sure that you never run again. It, this, uh, there's a strain of vindictiveness that I've, that I've found uh, in the hobby um, from players that um, I think if we can, as players, not do that, we can then help these new GMs uh, or even existing GMs who are maybe just, you know, trying something new or, or just need some help to really, because like at the end of the day, they're doing partially doing us a favor by taking on this harder, more complex role and helping us game where otherwise we just be there telling stories in our heads. So. I have one as well, which is another, it might be a slight hot take, but straight up, my idea is that GMs who want to learn to GM better should run more story games. A lot of story games have GM mechanics built into the game mm -hmm. that helps people communicate better at tables and keeps tone level up. Like, cause, because mm -hmm. for one thing, with a lot less rules to remember, memorize and play through, you're having to basically engage the players a bit more. And engaging the players more is going to teach you how to run games better. And story games are one of the very easy and coolest ways to do that. Even even all our games have less rules. Like how frequently we said out loud, I never said that. Games with less rules will help you communicate with people better and keep the table at a right consistent level. And also, story games already have like pacing and momentum built into them, mm -hmm. so you know how to flow it around. And it, there's a lot there's a lot you can learn from playing rules light story game style games. And Do you want to throw out some suggestions, actually, for the for the for the podcast? Lady Blackbird, Lady Blackbird, let's start right there. Do you want a <laughs> game that will teach you every single thing that you need to know as a GM? It will teach you pacing. It will teach you planning. It will teach you making things up as you go along. It will teach you storyline styles. It will teach you spotlighting. It will teach you how to move the game when the game completely goes another way around. Uh, to be clear, that was Lady Blackburn. Oh my God! For, really? For the people at home? Yeah. No, it's no. The people at home know it's Lady Blackbird. It's like the fiftieth time I've told them. I've you never know. heard of it though. And, and, and How have you never heard, heard of this? I've heard it. I'm and to, be, to it. be fair, That's why I want to make sure it's clear for the class. I I, I, I do agree. The, the 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 way to get better at running games is ridiculously, although it's obvious though it sounds, is to run lots of games. And as Lloyd says, simpler games are easy to pick up. And I think one thing is to mention as well is that your obviously your own tastes will change and develop as you run games because if you've not gm'd any games how can you know what sort of games you're going to enjoy gming so if you just like you pick up your first game and you're like that is it i am done gm complete if you don't act, if you don't try and at least play some other games then 
you may find something else that you like even better, or you may you may go actually I've tried this other game, didn't like it at all. But at least you'll know that, and you'll gradually focus in on what suits you better as a GM, what you feel more comfortable with running. Whereas if you if you limit yourself, you won't have. And I know you're a great proponent of running lots of different games, Lloyd. If you don't have that broad range of experience, you're limiting what you can select from to find your own personal preferences. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the big things that you can do to improve yourself as a GM is to play a lot of games with yeah. different GMs. Conventions are really good for this. If you can go to a convention and kind of hit four or five GMs, there are many, many different styles. Some people are more narrative and descriptive. Some people are very, very kind of quiet and they sort of let the players fill the space. But the more games of different styles and types that you play, the more you will pick up things and kind of, yeah, that's a really cool way of doing that. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. Stealing that. And over time, yeah. you will. You That's will a develop. great piece of advice right there that Mark Mark's sitting on without saying it directly, but I'll say it directly. Don't feel bad about stealing. Steal, steal, steal. As a GM, make sure that you're incorporating new ideas, new styles, uh, new concepts. Uh, explore different things uh, if you've never done it before. Uh, playing different games and different systems will help doing that by default. But even if you play the same system over and over and over again, Make sure you're trying to explore other ideas within the system or other ideas within being a GM or whatnot because you're going to become better and the lifespan of your table is going to be better too because everyone's going to be more engaged. You're not just the same every time. <laughs> and everyone interprets rules differently. So it may be the fact that you've been playing you know, your game because you read D&D from a book and then another GM will run D&D in a completely different way because they kind of maybe their pacing's different or they sort of uh, interpret those rules slightly differently or, or they just don't, you know, you know, they ignore them. That's another great yeah, GM tool exactly. sometimes. I, just I, think, I think as well, I mean, obviously sitting down and just sort of like going like, right, okay, I've got this role-playing book that I've just bought. I'm going to read through it. It's very different to seeing the rules and the, the campaign setting and the system in practice so you you might read a book and think oh this reads really well it's like a really cool system you might play it and go oh actually some some of that it looks sounds good but it doesn't really work well in game or you might conversely you might look at something and go oh well, i'm not, not that fussed about that but then you might try like a mechanic or like a campaign setting in a game and be like oh actually yeah that's really cool and, and it might even be like a game you don't want to run yourself but you're like i really enjoyed playing it and i can think a few games where i'm like that wouldn't suit my Jenning style to run, but if someone else were running it, I would quite happily play it. So it's all it's all about refining your your tastes to find out what you like, but you can only do that if you've got a basis for comparison with different games. Yeah, definitely. We also live in a wonderful world now of technology where you can just go to the internet and watch people play and run games, and you can kind of get get uh you can pick up lots of tips that way there's a lot yeah, of great you know and play your own game and and and, and you can play a game every single day of the week now uh, just because of the internet you know i mean uh, no longer are we constrained to uh the people in your town or within a you know 30 mile radius who might want to play that one specific idea that you have now we have people around the world who might you know share your views exactly and then you you have this wonderful experience so uh, yeah i mean I, i've even played games with people like as far afield as the distant foreign climbs of london oh wow well you know what that's a great it reminds me of, like, i play once a guy called burton on trent never again <laughs> never again 
I've learned my lesson. Um, on the idea of other things, I'm just going to mention something, but I keep, I keep slipping out of my mind. Um, don't let your emotions overtake you when being a GM. You know the whole idea about being neutral? Like, get excited, get into it, but always maintain a level of, in a kind of odd way, not, not, not disconnect, like uh, maturity. You have to approach everything maturely. Mm-hmm. If you want the players to respect you and trust you, they have to. You have to be an adult when it comes to table. You can't just throw tantrums like I do. You can't just lose your mind. You have to stay focused. You have to keep going, and you have to stay on point. And even if it means you have to cut your session short so you don't go crazy yeah. and get angry or get depressed, yes, take a break, yeah. relax, put it down. Yeah. And of all things, don't stress yourself, man. No game is worth stressing yourself over about the GM role. If you're spending 10 hours making character sheets and then drawing a map and you're not feeling it, fucking chuck that shit in the bin. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need a map. You don't need the prep. You'll be fine. You know, actually, this comes back around to the idea of prep, actually, uh, um, and, and, and prep style. Because I think that it's something that um, a lot of new GMs uh, stress over. And I think a piece of advice for new GMs uh, – even though that is your role to be the world, you are the world. We are the children and all that sort of stuff. Um, don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, you, if you've done a session zero or even if you just ask a lots of questions of your players, you already have all that you need to run a session or two, if not more. Uh, and in, all you need to do is have some familiarity with the rules and maybe you're using uh, creatures or characters of a vestry or maybe you're just making up uh, characters on the fly however you play it but don't feel you need to come to the table with a volume this thick uh you know really like a bible-sized uh you know binder of stuff because again that used to be the modus operandi for i think most gms uh you know going back 20 or 30 even 40 years ago but nowadays between online resources between uh, more narrative or storytelling type uh, systems you can approach this in any different way. And so don't spend days and days prepping. Just have some something ready, something that you know your players might like, something you want to run, something they want to run. Have asked those questions. Run a session zero to, to get, a, get at what people want. And just play based off of that. And again, just be bold. Don't be afraid. Because I think being afraid is the thing that makes us overprep. It's the thing that makes us get stressed. It's the thing that makes us... Um, lose our minds when an arc doesn't go the way it should because you know we're afraid of well then they're not gonna like it or, or when they're not liking it then my um, it's all that's all over now um, just just don't all that is noise white noise GM white noise I Walk think as well out. I mean that that's something where again you don't have to necessarily pick one approach and go right this is it yes. It, yeah. it's something that can vary. I mean, I, I tend to like do a fair bit of prep, but that's because like I enjoy drawing the maps. I enjoy that's like it. doing the prep. It, I've run games where I've not done as much prep, and you can get by quite happily without it. So it's what it's what works for you individually. Exactly. But again, you only you only find that out if you try that out. So I think, as Lloyd was saying, that's where storytelling games, a lot of which involve less prep can be a good starting point because you can start off going right i don't have to do a lot of prep the system's nice and simple i can get straight into it i can get i can get a bit of experience being a gm then later on if you're like oh well maybe it might have been useful to have a map there or i might like a bit more prep you can start expanding outwards it's a lot easier to start off with like a, a small sort of like 
core of what prep you need and then build on that than it is to suddenly like be dumped in at the deep end where you're like yeah. oh i've got to, i've got to prepare like a a 30 level dungeon with like a million rooms in each level and i've got to have like keyed encounters and all of that all of that shit can start overwhelm someone and you, your response might be just to draw back and go like i'm not ready for that i'm that's not yeah enough. and and when in doubt new gms or or gms just coming back to the hobby after a really long time um don't be afraid to just use an established setting or established module you know, if you want to tweak the hell out of it, that's up to you. But if you just want to run out the box, you just want to play a session and get a feel of how to GM and, and how, to, how to develop all these other skills, don't worry about creating a thing. Just yeah. worry about what your players want and set them going somewhere. You know? And I mean, as I say, that doesn't have to like be, you don't have to have like a universal approach that you adopt to everything. I mean, I know for myself, I'm, I'm running a couple of campaign games at the minute, one of which is my normal sort of style of like, fairly sort of heavy prep so when i came to running my second one i was like right i've not got enough time to run two games with that heavy prep style mm -hmm. so i was then like right okay well i'm gonna do a i'm gonna do like a sort of hex crawl games so i've got a lot of resources for stuff like that so it's gonna be like exploration base is gonna be more sort of like randomization procedural mm -hmm. generation in it because that means i'll be able to prepare that game within the scope of the available time yeah i have yeah. to run that game well uh as an example i'm actually over the last year or two i've started prepping more uh i used to be a very lazy gm i think i've got about 10 years of cyberpunk campaigns that are just pads that have the word cyberpunk written at the top and the date and then a list of the characters <laughs> that's basically it um but uh, i started doing one sheets for all my sessions so i will basically uh, have just a one uh, a4 sheet of paper the mm -hmm. location a brief description what's happening there and then like key npcs that are at that location and then bang 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 three or four of those those are going to be the places that feature in the adventure you're not tied down to anything and there are key plot elements and just the names because that's the one thing as a gm that i always forget hmm. well, who's here what was that guy um and it doesn't doesn't take an hour you can kind of just do it and it, it, it that yeah. if you hit those key points that's the session you got it yeah so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it comes down to the, the, the only prep you really need is the prep that's absolutely necessary for you to run your game. If you want to have stuff added on to that, you can do. But like like you were saying, wait, as long as you, you sort of hit those beats that you need. And I mean, this is something I've found since we since those guys have been doing games on demand. I, 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 I know, get a quick plug in there, but... Uh, I want to, I want to be able to go right okay, well because um, because I'm traveling down the trains I can only carry so much stuff with me I, I want to be able to fit all my books and my notes for an adventure and whatever else I need like dice pens etc in a rucksack so my, my notes are pretty much I mean I know they're only like sort of like short taster sessions but my notes for all of them are literally like two maybe three index cards with like bullet points and a bit of writing on maybe a few character sheets. All, index cards are god yeah all in <laughs> all inside whatever normally sort of like fairly small like book i'm running it out of maybe a cheat sheet if i'm feeling a bit sort of devil may care with the print costs and then i'll just sort of run with that and that's absolutely fine because we know that we're running taster sessions they're only like a couple of hours long the people who might not be familiar with the system and you don't have time to like go into like teaching someone the entirety of a new system so it's basically it's getting your your prep and the materials you're going to be presenting to your players as appropriate for whatever game you're running so you might put in more for a campaign 
you might put in a bit less for a one shot but as long as you've got what you need to run it it's all good absolutely I enjoy role playing for because I like interacting with people. I, I thought you were just going to leave that there. I enjoy role playing. I enjoy role playing. You are not alone. I enjoy it mostly because I enjoy interacting with people. The GM role yes. is one of the roles that basically puts you in the front line. It's not an easy role for an introvert to do, but I get through it because I enjoy being able to have an audience to speak to who listen to my words and don't like second guess me, which is why I believe trust is so important. If you have your trust, you can be like, I can talk to these people and feel comfortable. It's actually for like one shots that are games on demand, which we're plugging again, by the way. If you have a whole bunch on the table, they start off, they don't know what's going on. They'll be like, look at each other, not quite sure what to do, but they'll look at you because they know you're there to help them. And getting that trust between players is what I think is the most important part of being a GM. So if you can nail that, everything else will work itself out for you. Also yeah. play Lesser Risa. Anyway, um, I believe we are on the almost a minute, an hour mark, John. Is there any final words you'd like to give us? Uh, I, think, I think we've covered a fair bit there. We've talked about how... It's a massive topic. We go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, one of the, it's one of these topics in role-playing where essentially there's no sort of like... 100% right, like definitive, like, yes, this is it. That no boy would play an answer to this question, folks. Also, play Lily Blackbird is really good. Carry on. Yeah, you probably also mentioned masks again as well, Lloyd. You haven't really mentioned Also, them. mask. Mask and Lily Blackbird. Play them back to back. It's great. Carry on. Okay, bye. <laughs> but yeah, the, there's, there's plenty of stuff that we've discussed. Um, but I think basically, as we said earlier, what it all comes down to is engendering trust between the, the players and the GM, making sure as a GM you have the support of the, the group that you're running the games for and that you have what you need to feel comfortable in running the game. And I think as long as you've got that and get a bit of practice in, you can't really go far wrong, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like anyone's going to be like a perfect GM like straight off the bat. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was a perfect GM now and I've been GMing for like more years than I care to remember. But you don't have to be a perfect GM in order to run a, a good game. As long as you're having fun running it and the players are enjoying playing in it, that that's the battle won as far as I'm concerned. Right on. Well, so unless anyone else has anything to say, I think we're, we're pretty much done. Yeah, I was. I had a couple of tips, but if we are going to make break the hour mark for you, let's go. Okay, thanks. There's a couple of things that um, I do or have done in the past um, in order to aid me as a GM. Uh, one is uh, I get anxiety, GM anxiety, before a session. Sometimes it's absolutely terrible. Um, one of the things prep does help with that, but one of the things that GMs should be uh, you know, to talk to their bios, don't be afraid to cancel the session. Call the session, play board games maybe for one week, and then get onto it next week with double double the effort. That kind of stuff really uh, really helps me. If you've got players that are understanding in that kind of thing, that's really good. Uh, another couple of things I do are more sort of specific session based. One is get one of the, the uh, one of the players to. Uh, tell us what happened last week in character. It gives you an extra five minutes to kind of prep everything. It reminds you of all the stuff that you forgot. 
and uh, you know give them a bonus XP or something, and then next week everyone would have token notes because everyone wants to be the guy that gets the XP for doing that uh, description. Uh, and also it gets people into into character before the session starts. Warms up. Yeah, warm-ups are good. Sometimes that there's that little warm-up. Um, another thing, and it's something as a player I absolutely hate when uh, a GM doesn't do it, and that's ask the players to describe their characters. Sometimes they change, it gets everyone in the mood, it begins that theatre of the mind, people get to kind of do all their cool things. Maybe that guy got a bow last week, you know, and he gets to describe it. That sort of thing really kind of kicks off the session, you know, the creativity and and uh, kind of gets everyone sort of uh, into it. Uh, it doesn't need to be, you know, maybe you're in a bar or something like that. One thing that we do is we do it character by character. And then the players, over time, what they do is they describe their character, what they're doing, and then they will like look to the next guy and pass him a coffee or something. And then that character, then he then describes his character. So you have this little kind of mini vignette at the beginning of the session in the in where you are that sort of begins that create creativity and that uh, role playing and kind of like starts things off with a bang. Brilliant. Well, that's a, a couple of handy tips there from Wit to GMs. So before we wrap up, does anyone else have any last minute handy tips they want to drop in? I think we've said it all. Sweet. In which case, thanks very much to Lloyd Witt and to John Drury. Hopefully you'll join us next time whenever we run one of these long, hopefully not too rambling podcasts and we are out of here. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye, guys. So that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for things you'd like to see in the podcast in future, please either email them to reddicediaries at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at Anchor. Until I see you next time, whenever you're playing, take care and enjoy yourself. <laughs>